0: Berserker Cast Episode 4 Exodus Review. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304 837 2278 or email feedback at GoldenSpiralMedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. to Berserker Cast. I'm Daryl. And I'm Emily. I'm super excited to be talking about this episode this week. This was my favorite episode of the season so far. I know it's just three episodes so far, but yeah, I love this episode. What about you?
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I thought it was a, a great third episode leading us into the next phase of the season. So felt like we had some some things that really needed to be resolved before we could get over this hump yeah. resolved in this episode.
0: So. That's it. Yeah. I, and I, I loved what those resolutions, what, what the, the action that those brought and, and all that stuff. I enjoyed watching it. And so that's one reason why I thought this was my favorite episode so far. But the other thing that I liked was where it positioned everything for the future. Not that I know where the future is going to lead us, of course, but some of those things that we had talked about going, all right, let's, let's move through yeah. these things we, were, you we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. And uh, it's exciting.
1: And it seemed to piece a lot of what we'd been seeing together in such a way that we can extrapolate and predict some things that are coming, even if we don't really know exactly what is coming. You can kind of see why each party is in the position that they are in. And those are the things that I really like. You know, I, I say with storytelling, you need to give it time for it to all come together together. And Falling Skies continues to do that season after season is, you know, lay out these different groups and their different missions and then slowly piece it all together. And this is that time when we get to see that fulfilled. And in certain ways, I mean, there's still some big questions and still some things that we wish would move along a little bit faster, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but still.
0: Yeah, definitely some of that. And, uh, We'll talk about that. We'll talk about yeah. the lack of screen time for Cochise. Hopefully that just set up some bigger screen time we're going to get for him in the future. We'll talk about all that stuff as we review Exodus, which is Season 4, Episode 3 of Falling Skies, directed by Mikhail Salomon, written by Josh Pate. And guest actor, I guess you could say, in this episode.
1: Yeah, we, we get to see Jesse Schram back as Karen briefly in yeah. a, Minor sequence, yet still, nonetheless, <laughs> I never tire of getting creeped out by her face anymore.
0: <laughs> and she's an actress that I didn't think that we would ever see in this right. show again. And I know that it was a dream sequence or a flashback. We'll talk about that. Um, but even in in that re- concept or, or construct, mm-hmm. I didn't think we would see her again. So it was when we saw, her, I was like, "Oh, sweet, Karen's back!" Well, even though br- yeah, it was briefly, yeah, I saw
1: her name. In the, uh, you know, as they're overlaying the guest stars or whatever. And I went, what? What is she doing in this episode?
0: (laughs) I never look at those. So I never get spoiled by that sort of thing. I I know that for years when we were doing Fringe and uh, even when people would talk about Lost, they would get spoiled by some of the Mm -hmm. guest actors that would be shown. And I never pay attention to those on my first watch. So... It's great. I never get spoiled. There's an obvious spoiler there on the screen, and I miss it every time.
1: Well, and sometimes for some shows, they they attribute actors' names, even if it's only a flashback sequence they're showing mm-hmm. or something. So, you know, you can always not choose not to be spoiled and assume <laughs> that there's just a flashback coming or something. But right. yeah, no, I, I don't always see it, but it's just with certain names, you know, that aren't supposed to be there. Those are the things that jump out at me.
0: right. Right. Well, let's get into it. Uh, Let's talk about the different uh, storylines. I I guess actually we want to start this week's episode out a little bit differently because I mentioned it was my favorite episode of the season, which is funny because Mike, who's in the chat room joining us for the live show, he says, I was surprised that he was surprised that this was my favorite episode of the season. He didn't he didn't expect that. You said you liked it. And that was we got some positive feedback from some of the listeners as well.
1: Yeah, uh I was I was excited to see that there were a lot of positive reactions. I read Mike's blog, I think it was yesterday and I wasn't entirely surprised because just knowing the way he reacts to certain episodes from listening to him on the continuum podcast so much mm-hmm. i kind of i could totally see where he was coming from with that but hopefully we can change your mind here mike <laughs> but uh, uh yeah so we got a couple we got a couple more feedbackers than usual in this episode and uh, gannon says such a fantastic season so far easily claiming to be the best and after only 3 episodes in episode 3 exodus only increases it fantastic episode fast paced action interesting reunion and plenty of questions to be answered
0: yeah yeah definitely and then alex from the uk said oh my it was such a heartwarming but heartbreaking episode at the same time the riders do such a great job and i will agree with that as well
1: i think josh pate who wrote the Episode. I don't think he does a lot of episodic work. I think he's mostly done movies in the past and mm-hmm. written a lot of really intricate action sequences. And I think he ha- at least has an Academy Award nomination. I don't know if he has a win, but so he's pr- pretty big shot in the big yeah. scheme of things. So we're getting some really cool actors coming on board because, you know, it's uh, w- Steven Spielberg is one of the executive producers. So I'm sure they have just a lot of unconventional. Pull in that <laughs> community of writers.
0: Yeah, he's got a little bit of Hollywood clout. A
1: little, a, a little bit of pull. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, this episode started with something that I'm typically—I'll call it—I'm a sucker for this. Although I don't—I don't like that because that makes it sound like a, a negative thing. But I'm—I almost always love a flashback style of storytelling. Whether it's the the way that Lost did it. Uh, whether it's movies like uh, Memento or just different things I typically like it and I liked it here they gave us a little bit of a build up uh, and then said 60 hours before and so it kind of helped us anticipate a, of a where the the episode was going and some people will criticize this by saying you know if it's a good episode you you lead the audience in there through the Chronological sequence of events. You don't need that yeah. hook to get them in there, but I don't. I don't agree with that. I'm not. I'm not a believer in that. Even one of the uh, Mission Impossible three movies or Mission Impossible. I think it was Mission Impossible three does this same sort of thing yeah. where they they set the hook and then you got to figure out how they're going to get there. And I love that because it is. And now it's a game that I'm thinking, trying to figure out how are they mm-hmm. going to get to the events that I've already seen. So I love it. Almost yeah. every single time, cool. I love it.
1: Well, and like Mission Impossible 3, this isn't the culminating sequence. This isn't right. the punchline to the whole thing. It's just a major point of action where we know that everybody is going to get to it at a certain point. So it's, it's not even like giving away the whole story or what actually happens. It's just giving us a... A sneak peek into what's to come. And, you know, it kind of shakes things up with storytelling. So I, I, I don't think I would say I'm either a fan or not a fan of it. It it can be done right or it can be done wrong. I, I think most of the time I'm on the side of if it was a good show, you wouldn't have to do this. But there are certain things that I really like to see ahead of time. And and I didn't have a problem with this one at all. Okay. So.
0: All right.
1: But yeah, I, I laughed when you said that, or I saw your show notes because I was like, oh, funny. I I would usually say, please don't use this kind of story, <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: But
1: But I prefer it in, in episodes of television shows more than in movies. Okay. I say that much. Okay. But yeah. Anyway, I was really glad we opened up with some daylight in this episode especially with Tom and Hal because it just seems like it's been so dark there's so many times I I remember especially back in season one one of the reasons I had almost given up on the show was just because I couldn't see anything there was no there was no depth in there uh, you know actual depth of three-dimensional objects so it was cool to see where where was all laid out and uh, a little bit more of the ruins I mean Mm -hmm. we get to see a little bit but not a whole lot
0: that was nice. It's it's interesting too. We know that they use different lens filters and and different post production effects to to get that dark and gritty look that we have on screen. I don't know if you saw the behind the scenes video that they released this week that showed Pope as he's climbing that pylon yep. to try to get, to get over the you know to to blow up the, the tether, and it was really interesting to. to See that because that was non produced footage and so you're seeing it in broad daylight being filmed and then you compare that to even that scene, even though it's in the daytime, even that scene has some filters and some post production effects that are laid over on top of it to give it a more of a I don't know if they use a blue filter or, or it seems like it's got a blue, you know, hue to it to me. Um but yeah, you, you they they do a really good job of, of I think applying those, but it was nice to see some daylight because it's hard to like last episode was particularly dark. It was almost mm-hmm. too, it was dark. too dark. You know, I feel that yeah. way about the Tim Burton Batman movies. I'm a huge fan of those movies. They're some of my favorite movies of all time, but they're a little bit too dark, even for a, a Dark Knight movie. <laughs> so I, I can understand what you're saying there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not that, you know, the story itself can hold its own for the most part. It's just frustrating when you can't see yeah. some of the action, especially when when so much that is wrapped up in the story is these characters reacting to one another. And the actors have done such a good job over the last couple of years in building that rapport between them. You just don't want to miss any of that.
0: Right. Yeah. And we've seen that with the Mason family as well. And and what we saw in this episode was more of Tom and Hal. We've seen it all season, really, where Hal has taken on more responsibility as Tom has not been able to be as active. Now that they are together, it's really creating an, an interesting dynamic between the two of them.
1: Right. I loved their uh, Led Zeppelin album yeah. comparative analysis. Is there? <laughs> Yeah. I'll tell you what my least favorite Zeppelin is. Yeah, <laughs> The one flying in the sky right now. No, I, you know, just another one of those good Tom Hal scenes when they're staring up at that Zeppelin is just Tom saying, when we get out of here, we're going to take the fight to them. Something new and different for Tom to say,
0: but... But I can't wait for that. They... Oh, you, even, even three episodes into the season, you get the feeling that, I mean, these, these guys have been caged. They're caged animals, not really able to do much offense. Well, now they can, and mm-hmm. I think that we've, even though it's only been three episodes, I do feel like the story, the, the show, rather, has built up where we now have earned the right to appreciate more their ability to go on to the offense.
1: Oh, entirely. You know, season after season, they have stumped the Ashveni in terms of what they are capable of doing with or without the Volm. The Eshveni have underestimated them time and time again, and I think we even see it again in this episode, especially with the Eshveni overlord that comes down and meets with Tom, but Mm -hmm. there's no underestimating what they have the possibility of doing here. And I would guess that with the bombs they set up in whatever prison or solitary confinement, a lot of those... Guards are gone, too. Wouldn't you say? I mean, probably not all of them, but to a large extent. Yeah, they probably wiped out a good chunk of their forces.
0: They I I would imagine so, because Tom was very specifically trying to gather in as many skitters as possible and get all of them eliminated in that building explosion.
1: Yeah. And I think I don't know if it was last week or the week before when I said, why is he scoping out this whole thing? You know, I know there's got to be a reason, but why? And clearly this was the reason why, (laughs) you know, finding where each uh, guard centralized or came out from whatever, wherever their nest was trying to maximize the casualties.
0: Yeah. And we also saw all of that, not only the plotting that he had been doing, the the recon to try to figure out where the skitters were coming from, you know that he had mapped out the whole town. So now yep. he's able to like a back to the future style mobile type of thing with like Doc Brown did. He's got the whole town kind of sketched out there with these different oh, objects yeah. and they're able to really plan out in, in three dimensions their attack. And we get some good conversations uh, between Tom and, how are we going to say his name? Is it Dingan or do you have a better pronunciation than that?
1: Each character said it differently. So they did, I yeah, say, <laughs> Whatever works. So ding-on. I don't think
0: there's a there's a right or wrong because Tom and, and Weaver definitely said it quite differently. Yeah. I think one said Dingan and one, the, one said Dingan or something. I don't know, but
1: yeah. it was different. And I think Pope called him Dingo.
0: So. <laughs> he did, but I took that, that, was... that as Pope being Pope and <laughs> right. on, no, intentionally for sure. not calling him his, by his proper name. For sure, I, I I liked it. So they 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 have a plan to take down the wall uh, or get over the wall with a Faraday suit, take down the tether, and it, it, they started laying this out. And I'm like, this is a really good plan. I even mm-hmm. though Pope comes in and says this has a zero percent chance of working, I th- I thought it had. I thought it was really as good of a plan as they could have mustered.
1: Oh, entirely. I mean, what other option do you have at this point? I mean. It wouldn't be Falling Skies if Pope didn't get in there and be the naysayer. But with what you've been given and how little resources, how few resources you had going into this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a it was a good plan, especially, you know, Dingon came out of nowhere with this Faraday suit, which could be a plot device or it could just, you know, be one of those happy accidents. You always have someone somewhere who can do something you never thought would be possible. But
0: I don't think it's a happy accident in that. I don't think it's a happy accident because he said that he used to work for an electrical company, and they, the yep. line workers, do use Faraday suits even today, from my understanding, oh. uh, to be safe. So I think that, okay. that that was pretty good. Awesome. What I yeah. thought was more of a plot device was that it would only hold up for ninety seconds.
1: <laughs> yeah, that I didn't like that at all. It made it, it made you kind of anticipate what was going to happen, right? A little bit. It's like a more bomb. Quickly.
0: You know, it's all going to go down to the last second, right? So yeah. you just, yeah. it's kind of a foregone conclusion at that point. It's kind of disappointing.
1: You know, I bet that there is some sort of mathematical or physics or chemical reason for all of that. So, anybody listening, if you have some insight onto why that kind of suit would only last 90 seconds, I would certainly be interested to know, you know, just so that I'm not being all skeptical about it because mm-hmm. I just don't know. <laughs> but. Yeah, I found some interesting things about this ammonium nitrate bomb that they said was the only thing available to them at this point. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know anything about it, but apparently ammonium nitrate bombs account for 80% of the explosives used in North America. I'm not sure what that time frame is, but I would just probably qualify that as current bombs. Okay. Were you aware of that? Nope. Or have any insight on that? Okay. And then another fun point is that it is used in instant cold packs. Ammonium nitrate is used (laughs) in instant cold packs.
0: That's interesting.
1: Very funny. Very two different sides of the spectrum. Right. So it's probably not combustible in an instant cold pack. I'm just going to guess.
0: I'm I'm guessing it's lacking a key ingredient. Yes. (laughs) Very interesting though. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, too, the, the history lesson. Tom's got to bring in his history lesson, brings in the story of First. Geronimo. Now, I don't know a whole lot about Geronimo. Uh, I've actually, interestingly, maybe have been to his gravesite. He's buried here in Oklahoma, where I uh, call home, although about an hour and a half from where I live, on the one of the Army bases or the Army base here in town or in, in our state, uh-huh. uh, Fort Sill, which is in Lawton, Oklahoma, my brother was stationed there for a time. And while he was stationed there, uh, we we visit, visited him one day and, and we saw some of the things on base. And one of the things we, we did was we visited the graveside of Geronimo. So neat little Very thing. Cool. But I don't know if the story that Tom relayed about Geronimo walking into the camp, pulling out a small bow, shooting the guy and then walking away. I don't know if that was true or not, but I would imagine it would be. It doesn't seem like the type of thing that the writers would make up.
1: You know, I didn't even think to look that up. (laughs) It sounded so legit when he was talking about it that I was like, oh, yeah, that must be right. Well, I mean, everything (laughs) else that he has said, everything else relating to uh, United States history has been accurate. So, yeah, I can't imagine that they would make that up. Bummer. I I really wish I would have looked that up that (laughs) now. Well, and
0: I thought about it at one point, but I was busy working on other things. And then, of course, naturally, when I wasn't working on other things, I forgot. So that's that's (laughs) when my brain works. Yeah. (laughs) But it was cool. You always think
1: of it in the shower, right?
0: (laughs) Right. I I have a computer in there for some odd reason. (laughs) That would be brilliant. (laughs) But he has a, during this conversation where Tom is talking to Dingon, you know, Tom really extends himself out to Dingon and and invites him to be a part of of their family because, you know, he recognizes he doesn't have any family left. And this was really, I Mm -hmm. think, a, a good thing.
1: Oh, yeah. I, you know, it, it goes back to everything that he was trying to pull together when they were at uh, Charleston and the second mass came in and you know they were getting split up in season two season three season two yeah I I don't don't remember I think it was two but um two all the second mass was getting split up and he's like no we're family we've got to stick together and then you know they kind of carried that over even into season three and were able to retain a lot of that family dynamic in terms of whenever there was something happening on the front lines, Tom was out there. Mm-hmm. And and one thing that I've always had a little bit of, I've always gone back and forth with Tom is that on the one hand, it's nice to see a leader take control and go after things when he knows that they're dangerous. You know, he he, he orchestrates a lot of these dangerous plans and then volunteers to carry them out, even though everybody says, no, you have to stay behind because everybody looks to you as our leader.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But on the other hand, He's kind of putting himself in that position where he goes, if I'm not willing to do it, why should I let anybody else go into the right. front lines? So there, there's, uh, I don't know if you would call it a catch-22, but there's certainly a dichotomy of uh, of how I feel in terms of the way he takes control like that. But you got to respect a guy who doesn't think twice about heading right into the into enemy fire. And that's really what he did in this episode. And I don't know if that ultimately helped Dingan (laughs) go forward with his plan, but I'm sure seeing him put himself out there like that was a motivator.
0: Well, I think it was. And I think also, I think two things here. I think what you just said about it's a catch 22. I think that's exactly right. And I think hopefully Tom will learn from that there was a, a line that was said to him at the very end of the episode, once they do make it through, somebody told him that he needs to learn how to delegate. And I think that that's what uh, they were, were getting at. Yes. But the, but the other thing, I think that he, there was nobody better for this specific task that he assigned to himself mm-hmm. because he'd been studying the lay of the land, mapping right. it out. No one else, if if, if he had hit a hitch and, and a road would have been blocked or something like that, he's really the only one that could have, easily or been most easily able to overcome that type of thing. So I, I thought he was the right man for that job.
1: Yeah. Oh, entirely. I think I wasn't thinking more in terms of the job he took in this one, but just in terms of bringing Dingon into the family dynamic mm-hmm. and, you know, saying, cause it, I think it was last episode. He said something along the lines of him putting on the suit and climbing over the wall. And Dingon was like, no man, I'm going to be doing this. And he he kind of had a moment there where he didn't really want to relinquish the control to, Dingon, but ultimately right. came around. And did a good that
2: point. little exchange?
0: Yeah. We got some feedback from Mark, and Mark thinks that because of this conversation, that they might be setting up um, a short story arc for Dingon, I and mean, he might be a red shirt here pretty quick. What do you think?
1: I would say that's probably true. If then again, if he didn't die in this episode to force Pope into the suit. I thought a red shirt meant that they're only brought in for one episode. Well, it
0: typically does. But I think for me, I I also look at it as someone who is uh, short of this earth, who's who's really their main purpose is just to serve as a death.
1: Yeah, I really hope that he's not because I mean, it's not that he's a fantastic character. He I mean, I like him. A lot. I think he has a great dynamic, but it's for that very reason. It's like we we just need some fresh blood in the mix, it's a little different perspective. He's been around the world. He's seen how this operates on a couple different continents, at least. Right. So it would be really nice to just have his perspective in the mix.
0: Well, and we lost guys like Lyle, for example, and we've lost some yeah. other folks too. I think it would be yeah. nice to have some fresh. You need
1: to build the gang back up. We're the berserkers, right. man.
0: That's right. Yeah. I'm hoping not. You know, he's injured now, so that's going to be interesting to see what his limitations are outside of being able to climb with it. Will he be able to, you know, squeeze a trigger and those sorts of things? Hopefully he will. Um, Okay, so it comes time to lay out the plan for everybody. I kind of jumped the gun a little bit when I was talking about the uh, cityscape that that Tom had put together. This is a really good scene in a couple of things. It also kind of set up some foreshadowing, Uh, maybe a little bit too obvious foreshadowing, but... Overall, I really liked it. It brought the team back together. We hadn't seen them doing this in a while, first time all season. So it was great to see Weaver and Tom Mm -hmm. and Pope. Dingon, of course, is new. Tector is there. Hal is there. Almost the whole gang, you know, missing Ben. But uh, it was nice to see everybody kind of bringing the brains together to, to execute this plan. And it is some offense. We hadn't seen some offense yet this season out of them. So it was really, really good. And when Pope starts chiming in with his popisms, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom delivers his version of a live-together, die-alone speech, like we saw Jack make in, in uh, the White Rabbit episodes. episode of yeah. Lost. It was great. I loved it.
1: Yeah. No, I, I was kind of glad that Tom went off on Pope, too. I mean, just understanding... Tom's frustration with it and knowing that one bad egg could just spoil the whole plan, especially when you have a new guy in the mix. I totally get it. But I also think that, man, who was it that said it was it Weaver? I can't remember who was kind of countering Tom, but he's got to learn to trust. Mm -hmm. And not that Pope is the best guy to start with, but. When it comes down to it, and Pope knows he's needed, he'll he'll pull through. <laughs> but it kind of has to be spontaneous. I think it can't be something planned. He's got to be the hero at the end,
0: right? And this is something we've seen out of Pope from yeah. day one. He's he's his own man. He's no one t- calls the shots for him except for him. Yeah. Uh, unless there's a little bit of a pedestal that he can be put on. But he's also down the core, you know, in in his core, he is a nice guy, whether he wants to admit it or not. And he does care about all these other guys. Right, right. And we, we definitely saw him, uh, we saw that, uh, you know, proven. And that's what I mean. This was kind of a foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. With that much pushback he was given to Tom, you knew that he was probably going to be called upon to execute something that, you know, and prove his trustworthiness.
1: Oh, I would I would say in that scene alone, I knew that he w- was going to end up putting on the suit. Yeah. You don't say anything like that without <laughs> paying for it in an episode like this.
0: Yeah. Mark, Mark felt the same way. So that so, comes time to execute the plan. How's ex, er, executing? He's not executing people. <laughs> He's exodusing <exodicing> the people <laughs> <laughs> doing a really good job of it. And uh, man, even though Tom had had given the Geronimo story. I thought it was just kind of a motivational speech for uh, Dingon. I didn't think that he was – for whatever reason, I'm sure I was just being oblivious, but he he does. He pulls the Geronimo maneuver on the Eshveni mm-hmm. and his translator just pulls out the – doesn't pull out a small bow. He pulls out a small flamethrower and roasts the Eshveni. <laughs> it was awesome.
1: Oh, I wish he would have stayed until he knew he was dead, though. Yeah,
0: well, it looks like he I know was, I and mean, the guy was like totally yeah. engulfed
1: in flames. But, oh, well, I guess it was. We saw Cochise heal himself over the course mm. of 24 hours, but they're a different race. But, yeah, man, that was awesome. I yeah. I, yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, all right, well, we know where he was getting his game plan from, but, you know. These Ashfeni claim to know our history, and yet they're still surprised when things like this happen.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mentioned last week that one of these Ashfeni overlords is named Scorch. I wonder if this was him. If not, it should be his new nickname. <laughs> but I'm bump. That's right, folks. I'll be here all week.
1: <laughs> and scene. <laughs> um. Okay, so we did get a little bit of feedback on this from Ganon. Uh, He says, do you think this Eshveni Tom met with is the monk overlord that Mexi met in episode two, The Eye? uh, That was on the ship with Karen and Anne during the flashback. Uh, I got the feeling it wasn't. Design-wise, it was similar, but definitely noticeably different. uh, Different trademarks. Could there be more overlords associated with Lexi? And I I think you're right. We did talk about this a little bit last week. I don't think we had a name, you know. I read in in Mike's blog too. He referred to the Monk Overlord, and I was wondering if that was becoming more of a term people were using. I I didn't ever go back and look, but with the hood, I guess mm-hmm. is where that comes from. Yeah, I I thought that they were two different ones: the one that Tom met with in the ship, and then the one Lexi met with. But uh, whether. There's more than that, like the one that we saw on uh, <laughs> raping Anne, pretty much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. So I don't either. They all look the same to me. Uh, maybe yeah. I'm racist against uh, fishhead-looking aliens, um, but they all look <laughs> the same to me. So I can't tell you. I don't know.
1: I know the costumes are different. They've had to make a couple different costumes for the Eshveni overlords, but. That's the extent of my knowledge on that. Okay. So, Gannon, your guess is as good as mine. If you do some research on it, uh, let us know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I would say for now, I don't know. I don't even know which one Scorch would be then. If if the other one is being nicknamed the Monk, maybe the overlord that Tom met with is Scorch. But mm-hmm. I guess I thought that maybe Scorch was the name given to one that was going to stick around, not get fried.
0: I thought The Monk was the overlord that's really good at solving murders.
1: Is there a reference in there I should be getting?
0: The TV show Monk with Tony Shaloub.
1: Oh, <laughs> right. Is
0: you that what you seen did it? for a
1: living? I've never seen that.
0: Oh, that's a great show. My wife's like a monk freak. She has seen oh, every yeah, episode like 10 that. times. Yeah.
1: Okay, uh, so he so solves crimes? <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, and he's like a genius. At oh, it. Yeah.
1: is he like the OCD guy? Yes. The like. Severely handicapped OCD guy. (laughs) Yes,
0: that's the guy. Okay.
1: Okay. It's a good show. It's not on the air anymore.
0: I I will say about Monk while we're on the topic that the series finale for Monk was one of the best I've ever seen. In relation to its respective series, it was really well done.
1: Okay.
0: All right. Cool. Um, It's always good to hear. Speaking of really well done, the see how I segued that? That was was good. Um, The plan that Tom had was super. The setup was smooth, and so you knew once everything was in place, Tom fried the fish head, uh, Weaver and and, uh, Pope and and, uh, Dagon were in place. Hal had gotten everybody to safety. You knew at that point that something was about to hit the fan because it was really going way too smoothly, and smooth stuff just doesn't make for good television. And that's when everything happened. Dagon broke his hand Pope dropped the bomb, the old man and the old lady show up, Tom is stranded on the building trying to keep the skitters, you know, everything hit the fan at that point. So, it made for great drama. I love this part of the episode because it tied in to what we saw at the beginning of the episode you know, 60 hours ahead um, Mm -hmm. with, with everything. And it it made for great drama. It was really intense. I was really nervous. I was literally like, my heart was beating and I was nervous in my (laughs) stomach. It was really well done. I loved it.
1: I was sitting, I was trying to watch this episode live at the cabin. So it wasn't excellent reception, but Mm -hmm. well, and because... Xfinity's live streaming is always a little bit wonky, but I was like sitting on the couch going like this and I had my <laughs> headphones in, hands pressed against my head, and everybody's looking at me going, What's wrong? <laughs> but yeah, so I I mean I felt the same way. It was just it was nice to get a little bit of suspense in there because everything has been a little predictable up to this point, but mostly because nothing has been offensive. It's all like you said, it's all been defensive up till mm-hmm. this point. Um Alex from the UK also had some things to say about Pope. He just said, I loved seeing Pope rise to be a hero in this episode, pushing through when his suit could only hold out a few more seconds to finish the job. People could argue that he was doing it because, like Pope said himself, they're all doomed if someone doesn't do it. But after how Tom spoke to him in the briefing, I'm sure it spurred him on to show that he can be selfless, pushing him to finish his task. And I think we just talked about this, too. But yeah. Right on, Alex. <laughs> Nothing like a good uh, nudge from Tom to make you realize you want to do something.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, Here's what Mark had to say. I know we've mentioned a few things that Mark said, but we actually
3: got some audio from him. I'm going to play what he oh, had nice. to say about Dingon and Pope. Uh, I knew right off the bat. I didn't think, sorry, I don't remember the gentleman's name, the one who was making the Faraday suit. I knew right from the start that he would not be going over the wall uh, when he was talking to Tom and, and everything. And Tom was saying, you know, how I have to trust you and pope was saying uh, you can't trust this guy you don't know him and all that um, i knew right from the start that he wasn't going to be going over the wall i didn't know why he wouldn't or that but it wasn't a big surprise to me whenever his hand got hurt and he said he couldn't climb so i also wasn't surprised that it was pope that decided to go over and i knew the pope would follow through uh he wouldn't uh, no, no matter how much pope dislikes the second mass and tom he wouldn't actually do anything to jeopardize them
0: so that seems to be the overall opinion, and I like that. I like that that we we because we all like Pope because of that. If he really yeah. was that selfish as he claims to be, you know, we wouldn't really mind. We wouldn't like him so much.
1: Yeah, it's these these small moments where he can redeem himself, even though he doesn't really need to be redeemed in the I don't know Monroe sense of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
1: But just just redeemed in his attitude. You know, he's he's always saying things that would imply he doesn't care Mm -hmm. when we know he's shown us before that he does care. But it's nice to have him just do something instead of just talk. So
0: totally agree, Mark. I think this will help him get reinvested into this group of people. I think it it looks like Mm -hmm. after things went south and they were put into this prison that, you know, he went into super selfish mode like he'd gone before in trying to keep an appearance, which was false, th- those sorts of things. And so now I think he's he's reinvested himself back into this group and uh, it's going to yep. be uh, a better thing for him mentally. And uh, he'll just be a, a better contributor now to the group that he was kind of, you know, even Tector. I mean, he'd been even pushing yep. that guy away. So I think it's a good thing mm-hmm. all the way around.
1: And plus he got a hug from Tom. So that always makes things better.
0: Hugs make everything better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what
1: i meant <laughs> hugs not drugs
0: uh, i was going to go with the uh
1: brothers don't
0: shake hands brothers hug black sheep no all right nope sorry it's not uh that's not black sheep that is tommy boy um so the plan works almost everybody escapes the old man mm. bites it and uh, what did anybody else besides the old man not make it do you know
1: I don't think that they showed. Uh, somebody else could have been taken, I suppose. but Yeah. You know, I will say. That was the only one I caught.
0: Speak, okay. we, we talked about a plot device earlier with the suit, maybe maybe a, a plot device with the suit falling apart after 90 seconds. I thought this was a bit of a plot device as well. I, this sounds terrible, but I think it's just realistic that in this day and age, this long after the alien invasion, it's hard for me to think that a, a elderly couple that seemed to be as slow and handicapped, but not in the handicapped sense, you know, just, just really not really fully equipped to handle this type of world. It seemed to me that they would have long been dead. And I, you know, it sounds terrible to say that. And I acknowledge that, but I think it's also realistic and I felt like they were just brought in. We haven't seen a lot of old people and it was just kind of convenient because they needed somebody to be straggling behind to tip off yeah. the skitter. So I thought that was a little bit weak. And maybe they could have approached that in a different way.
1: Yeah. And they were the first old people that we'd seen in the entire show. I guess the only thing that I could think of when I saw your show notes on that was kind of like Dingan carried into this one. That family that we saw last year just kind of living off by themselves in the woods, mm-hmm. the only thing I can think of is that they had been living off by themselves and, ma- and had managed to stay out of sight. And, you know, the the skitters were only really concerned with things going on inside of the cities and controlling the people in the city. So maybe maybe this was, they, they were one of the people dragged in from way out of town, <laughs> but... I kind of liked what Alex from the UK said. He he wrote in and said, it's nice to see that a TV show, that TV show writers think about characters of all ages. And the last thing he'd expect to see in a post-apocalyptic series is moments with elderly characters. And, and I, I think I, I agree in that because it totally got me at the end when Henry got dragged away. My mm-hmm. heart was going. Oh, I just, yeah. I mean, after surviving all of this, <laughs> this yeah. is how he goes. Eh. So, I mean, it, 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 it had the heart warming factor for me, heart touching factor. But I think I, I, I can completely understand where you're coming from. It, it seemed a little bit out of place, especially when we hadn't seen older characters up to this point.
0: Yeah. Mickey uses a better word. I, I used "handicapped" and didn't feel like that was good. He uses the word "frail," and I think that's better. Thank yeah. you, Mickey. He's yeah, our, that's a our, that's a good our live one. show. And you know, uh, technically speaking, he's—I think he just got captured by the skitters. He could still be alive, but I think the elderly couple was brought in just for this episode. I don't think we'll see them again, but obviously, we'll find out eventually whether we will or we or we won't. Um, yeah. But it all came together, and I—I I think you and I felt the same way on this when. Tom was there hitting the plunger or the button to make the building explode. I wasn't sure what his escape route was.
1: I did not know there was a river out there until he hit the water. I was going, what is he doing? There's (laughs) no way he's going to survive this fall. So yeah. Okay, good. I was hoping that I wasn't the only one, mostly because we only ever get to see this entire ghetto in the darkness, Mm -hmm. but also because there was no sign of where they really were. But
0: well, when I watched it the second time in one of the wide shots, you could see the river in the background, but it's one thing to see a river in a background and another thing to say, oh, that's his escape route because the river isn't like right up next to the building, right. you know? I mean, he probably needed a little bit to of jump lift like from that explosion. You 15
1: feet out yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least.
0: It was exciting yeah. though.
1: Yeah. His stunt double needs <laughs> an award of some kind. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, let's let's hear from a couple of the other listeners here. This is what my
3: uh, Mike, Mark, uh, this is some of his thoughts on the escape that they made. When the citizens escaped from the compound, uh, just looking at where they were near the bridge and all that, it didn't look like they were that far. I just found it very strange that they would have started a fire. I don't think with who they had, they had some elderly people with them. I don't think they would have marched for miles and miles, uh, so I presume they're still close enough. For them to be out in the open there and start a fire, I just thought that wasn't very smart of them.
0: What do you think? I don't
1: know. I, you know, I the only thing, like I I think I said it earlier, they must have thought that they wiped out the majority of this base's overlords and mm-hmm. guards, and that would be the only reason I would say they felt comfortable doing it as if they were pretty confident that they had wiped all these guys out but
0: Mm -hmm. i was a
1: little and then and we don't really know how far out they went i actually i at first i thought they had just gone right back into the ghetto and made a fire i didn't know where they were
0: (laughs) it was hard to tell obviously it was dark it seemed like they were they were at an overpass or something that gave them a little bit of shelter um, but I, I was, I'm like Mark, I didn't think that they had really traveled that far. I didn't think about the yeah. fire. I just thought that they were a little bit too celebratory because there was no guarantee that there weren't a whole mess of other skitters or aliens that were about to charge down on top of them. I didn't think that they had room to celebrate yet. Right.
1: Well, you got to celebrate sometime, right?
0: I guess so. I guess so. What do you think? Let's talk about now that they're in that camp, if you want to call it that there after they've made their great getaway because- A couple of things happened there. We saw some, you know, some high fives, some ribbing and all that fun stuff like you would after a victory. But Weaver saw something. What do you think it was?
1: Well, I took a screen cap. Did you see my notes on this? I did. A little bit. Yep. I, uh, the eyes were weird. The, from what we could see of the darkness, it looked like there was a glowing eye. So I took a screen cap and I played with the threshold levels a little bit and From what I can see, it looks like it could be a human head wrapped up in the garments that Tom was wearing as the ghost. Okay. And like, because there was like a little piece right here where you could, around the eyes, like where the goggles would sit, it looked like that much was exposed with big bulbs for eyes. But that was really the only thing I got out of that. So Hmm. uh, one of the listeners, Gannon, said that his theory on it is that it's genie but not the genie we know. Perhaps this will be our first peek at the new Ashfeni army. But, you know, then what are they? Is this an entirely new species created by the Ashfeni? Human-Skitter hybrid? I mean, there are so many possibilities if we think that 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 thing we saw out there was human, but Mm -hmm. actually transformed by the Ashfeni. So I kind of like his theory that it's genie because that that would add something new to the mix. And I think the actress's name was... Laid out in the opening sequence of actors too, so okay, and she wasn't in this episode otherwise. But that's that's just speculation. I can't remember hundred percent if it was, but
0: yeah, and she is. We are going <laughs> to see her this season. I don't know when, but I don't, and I don't know how show credits work. I know there's different regulations on. You know, when you have to show her credit and when when they're compensated and yeah. using stock footage again, all those sorts of things. But I know we'll see her at some point this season. And Barb had the same theory that what Weaver saw was actually Genie. You know, I don't know that either of them think that he realizes what he was looking at. Um, I don't think either of them oh. made that distinction or not. But
1: that would be really interesting if it was Genie because Weaver was then in a sense drawn there by something other than just I don't know, instinct. I kind of like that. Mm -hmm. I hope that's right.
0: (laughs) I hope it's wrong because I don't want genie to have been, you know, evolved, quote unquote, evolved already. But it does, it is a very interesting theory for sure. Yeah. Mark had a little bit different take on it, but uh, very similar too. But here's what Mark had to say.
3: And the last scene we get with Weaver and he sees the skitters and then he doesn't tell Tom anything about them. I wonder if they they somehow got to him. We know that they got his daughter. I wonder if he's somehow being blackmailed or if he somehow is infected himself. They said that they weren't going to use those tactics anymore, but maybe Weaver has been infected and he has an eye worm or or some such, or it could just be blackmail because it was very unlike him not to tell Tom what he had seen.
0: I do agree with that. It didn't seem... Like him not to share that information, particularly, like I said, they don't know they're in the clear. There's no reason for them to think that they that they can get a good night's rest.
1: There was something about their relationship, though, their their dynamic that really changed after Tom became president, too, though, in that he began to withhold the minor things until they became something big because he knew Mm -hmm. how Tom reacts to everything you know we don't want to overreact on this we have a whole bunch of people to take care of and if we say anything now prematurely before we really know what's going on then we're going to create mass chaos and we're going to lose control of this group but you know just telling it to I don't know maybe it'll it'll help with Tom delegating (laughs) if he doesn't need to know everything but I don't know that's an interesting one don't know mm-hmm. if they're going to be using eyeworms worms anymore either. I really hope that they're going away from that just because of how many times it's been used. But it seems like they're trying to go in a different direction for the most
0: part. It would be interesting to see if, if again, like we said, it would be interesting if Genie was the thing. It would also be interesting if maybe Weaver has been compromised mm-hmm. in some way and they're using that as some sort of blackmail or motivation for him to You know, turn against his brothers, if you will. That would be an interesting wrinkle. That it would be unfortunate. That would make that'd be sad if that were to be the case.
1: But I could see those two theories totally mashing up. Where Mm -hmm. if Jeannie was this person lurking out in the woods, and Tom has been compromised in some way, in that they are intrinsically linked in some sort of way. I could see him mashing up in that way because then then he is compromised. Whenever anything happens to anyone's children on the show, that character is automatically compromised.
0: Sure. And Sifo Diaz, who's in the live show, says that he thought it seemed like it moved away like a dog or a four legged creature. Hmm. Which could still be genie if she's been evolved in some way. <laughs> and he also mentions that it growled and it did growl or it to me it growl. sounded like a skitter would. Are very yeah. similar to a skitter.
1: I thought it sounded like the smoke monster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hmm.
1: It kind of had that rattling sound, but yeah, yeah, no, I I thought the same thing. It, it sounded like it sounded like an animal, or almost, almost. Uh, what would you say, technological? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm looking at the picture again, and I could see it being a skitter. There's there's some sort of patterned muscular on its side where it looks like it could be like the breastplate of a skitter, you know? Okay. So I could see that. It looks like, I mean, it's so vague that it could be anything at this point. I just thought that the head portion of it was really interesting and the glowing eyes, man, I can't wait to figure out what this thing is.
0: (laughs) I can't either. Should be good. Should be good information. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Team Ann stuff. We didn't get a whole lot with Team Ann this week, but what we got, I thought, was really quite good in the sense of it gave us some some interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, for the right? first thing, she she finally collapsed. We had been talking over the last couple of weeks about how this couldn't continue; something was going to have to give, and something finally gave. She passes out.
1: I think. It was Anthony who said something about, when was the last time you ate? (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Have you had any rations? And we know that she's been giving up her rations. She's been giving up her water. She's been... She's been running thin lately, and so there's no doubt in my mind that she would collapse. I mean, she's a woman, for one, and not saying that we need special care to a great extent, but, I mean, there are certain things that your body just needs in order to process, and sometimes for women, that's more of the food side of it than anything else, more than sleep, I mean, (laughs) and just my observation, I guess. Maybe that's just me
0: well, you're from the uh you're from Minnesota I know you guys <laughs> I'm love from to Minnesota eat.
1: and I don't sleep, so maybe that's yeah, the, maybe that's <laughs> that's it. where I'm getting all of that but I don't know. yeah, so my i my question here is is this actually her passing out or is this alexi induced sleep because it is very th- this dream this nightmare she has it struck me as I don't know if it was contradictory or just out of place in a couple ways because she was kidnapped after Lexi was born, and yet this dream sequence with Karen and the Ashveni has him hooked up to her like he's trying to modify the baby while she's still pregnant. And she's very pregnant. It, it like The way she was hanging in that structure, it looked like the thing that we see at the end of season two when they go blow up that overlord compound. Right. Where they were all hanging from, and that's when Tom finds out that she's pregnant. But she was hardly pregnant at that point, and we know what had happened to her. You know, Tom took her place in the beatings or whatever. So, I don't know. Do do you see where I'm going with this, though? Like, Okay, give me your thoughts.
0: Well, I had forgotten the fact that she hadn't really been carried away. I I remember that she had been kidnapped and had kind of just seems silly now, had kind of just left it at that, that we were seeing a flashback. And we still could have been. Remember, Hal was going away with Karen and not remembering it. Now, we also know he had an eye worm at that point. But uh, it's still, I think, reasonable to think that one of these aliens, uh, particularly with Lourdes being in their midst at that time, could have carried her away and, and drugged her or done something and she didn't even know it. So I, I do think yeah. that's a possibility that we we saw something that did actually happen, but we had not been shown before.
1: Yeah, I was trying to remember if something had happened during that time, like she had gone out on a mission and had been missing for a while, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I couldn't really recall. And so I didn't know whether it was just highly symbolic of the invasiveness by which the Ashfeni modified her child or mm-hmm. if it was... If it was an actual memory, but either way. Well, and and I think the reason I had started leaning toward it being more of a nightmare of symbolism was because she wakes up not screaming, but saying, I know where Lexi is. Right. And, you know, because before, in just like the previous two episodes, we had seen her wake up screaming from these nightmares. And this time she wakes up knowing where Lexi is. So I don't know, man, I, I... I like, I don't want it to be a real dream because that was so creepy. I mean, that's like, that's tantamount to getting raped by an alien, except that you're already impregnated.
0: But well, but yeah, still, and and, uh, we'll hear some feedback in just a second that'll, that'll echo those sentiments. But it's also weird to me that when she did wake up, she wasn't weary at all. She was very excited and you could say, well, it was just this this dream that she had had her vision, whichever it was, memory, dream, I don't know, could have been enough to really shoot adrenaline through her body and, and get her going. But she also said something like, you got any food? I'm hungry. It, it, yeah. That was in there. That that line was put in there for a reason. There, was, it, wasn't, right. it wasn't just adrenaline that she was going on. There had been a change in her, and I don't know mm-hmm. exactly what to do with that yet.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why I had came back and asked do you think that this is a Lexi induced sleep? Because it just seems so unnatural. The differences between her passing out and then waking up again. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't know. I was leaning towards it being an actual memory that she was, that she was having in a dream state. And I'm still leaning that way. But like I said, I had also thought that she had been kidnapped while pregnant and that you pointed out that that wasn't the case that we know of concretely.
1: Yeah. That we know of. Yeah. With Lourdes and Hal having eye worms, though, you know,
0: yeah, anything totally possible. possible. So mm-hmm.
1: I'm willing to make that sacrifice or whatever you call yeah, it. And
0: we know that the the Lexi's DNA had to get altered at some point. We were leaning towards yep. it being through Tom, but maybe not the case at all. Uh, here's what Barb had to say. I, I said that somebody had some similar uh, ideas as you did. Uh, this is what Barb had to say about it.
2: I want to talk about Anne and her dream this week and what that might mean i found it both disturbing and repulsive it was a cross between an umbilical cord a feeding tube and a rape by the Asphini overlord upon waking Anne knew her daughter was near how did she surmise that does she now have special powers When she was pregnant, she and her alien daughter shared DNA, which would imply that Anne now also has Isfini DNA in her blood. So let's consider this. Tom, Hal, Ben, Anne, Lexi, all infected, and Matt will probably be infected as well once the camp leaders are finished with his reprogramming. How many more of the less than 10% remaining world population members have been infected in some way? Does this mean that humans, as we know them today, will no longer exist if and when they defeat the aliens? That would be an interesting twist, and I want to see if the writers run with it. Tom continually draws from history to encourage those around him about the strength of the human spirit. But what if that spirit is biologically altered? What would that do to their hope?
1: Mm. Mm. I love the way she phrased that. That was perfect. Perfect. You know, it was, I think it was the premiere that Kochi said humans are on the verge of extinction. Mm-hmm. These these ghettos are, and it, it is probably because humans don't have the chance to not only reproduce, but the opportunity to raise children. I mean, mm-hmm. the, whatever the survival rate of kids is these days, it's not good, especially when they keep adopting abducting them and harnessing them and doing all sorts of brainwashing on on them yeah
0: and if you look at it and say well they're altering humanity then even any offspring that come after that you could argue that they're not humans anymore right. they're they're a new species and therefore humanity is becoming extinct through that avenue as well oh man that is so creepy and i don't think it's any accident that the entire Mason family she named it off Hal, mm-hmm. Tom, Lexi, Ben, and everyone but Matt and he's getting awfully dangerously close to having something happen to him. It can't be any coincidence that the entire Mason family has had some sort of alien object put into them. And right. you could you could I mean yes, for the sake of a of a story there needs to be some of this that has, that is done. You know, this character has this d- done to him. This character has that done to them. But you have other characters in this story that, that are available to have these things done to them. Weaver, Pope, any of the Berserkers, and so forth. Mm-hmm. But it, yet, yeah, it's only the Mason family that seems to have had this done to them. And it's got to be for a reason. The the right. writers, the producers, they I think they, they've got something bigger planned here. And I don't know if it, if I like it or not, because it could mean that humanity wins thanks to the Mason family. But by the way, they've all been genetically altered. So <laughs> have fun with that.
1: <laughs> you know, good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are going to be some fun family re- reunions.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Oh, what are you, what's your take on all this?
1: I, I don't know. I mean, like I can make excuses for the way things are with each of the Mason boys. I mean, Ben was one of many kids kidnapped and harnessed Tom willingly gave himself up to the Ishveni. Hal was in a relationship with the girl who became the Ashfeni overlord. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, in in the context of Falling Skies, these things make sense. But, you know, if you're trying to explain them to my family, sitting out there in the grass out there, they will not get this. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why I told them they couldn't listen.
0: <laughs> it's also a very subtle way of establishing some things that we didn't even see coming.
1: Right. Well, and I think... The world itself has gotten so much smaller mm-hmm. that it's not as hard to make these leaps. What have we said from the beginning? Like 90% of the world's population has been knocked out. Right. I mean, that that leaves one less than, is that less than a billion people on the earth? If there's eight? Yeah. How many how many people are on this earth right now? I
0: think there are Eight like billion 7 billion 8 billion. 7 billion. So, that would, so that's less yeah. than a
1: billion people, which right. means, I mean, China isn't really there anymore. <laughs> no, I, I just mean, once, I mean, the world is already really small in terms of the way coincidences happen. Mm-hmm. But it's gotten even smaller here now.
0: I hear you. So, and that's a good point. Yeah,
1: They've just got less people to choose from and less people probably who are putting up such... A good resistance as these guys are. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I, I think you're right though that the writers are really trying to tell us something is that the deeper that these guys get in the resistance, the more liable they are to being genetically altered in some way or another, whether it's just temporarily or if it's long term. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that Anne actually has Ishvini blood in her system now, just because I mean surrogates happen all the time. So I don't know. I, I really don't know how a woman's body is altered when the baby is implanted rather than conceived. But mm-hmm. I would say that there's still a likelihood Anne is completely normal. I don't know. It's scary.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I it want is. my people back. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Lexi. Team Lexi. And, you know, we. I guess after the season premiere, we were trying to figure out what to call it. Chinatown, we ended up calling it a Zen garden. Mm -hmm. But once we got the camera pulled back a little bit from the Zen garden area, we realized they really are in in some sort of Chinatown district, I guess, Mm -hmm. of of Charleston or something like that. I don't know if they're in Charleston, wherever they're at, definitely Chinatown.
1: Yeah. Well, they're a lot closer than I originally thought they were because Anne and her team come strolling in at the end of the episode. So Mm -hmm. I guess I, I really thought they had gone quite a far ways away but everybody's still within the same relative location there on the east coast
0: yeah they're close enough where i wouldn't be surprised if team tom ran into him next week or the week after and Coach East was able to get yeah. to uh ben so he there i think everything's still pretty close yeah no i, I would, said I ben i meant matt but you know what i mean
1: yes i <laughs> i heard matt <laughs> unsurprisingly ben Well, I don't know if I was surprised. I I guess I was relieved that Ben went right to Maggie. You know, they said in the last episode that uh, you're the only person that I can talk to anymore. You're the only person making sense around here. And so they've already started to develop this bond I'm a little worried about. And yet it's good because it's a really cool dynamic. I mean, Maggie pretty much has two extremes right now. Either she's guns blazing or she's zen garden extraordinaire where she has completely succumbed to the peace around her uh-huh. but goes right back to guns blazing how about them guns she has stowed away
0: i like her guns uh, they uh-huh. you would think it would be so easy in this world that they live in to just have a bunch of black matte black guns maggie's guns reflect a little bit of her personality i don't know where or how she got them we've seen them before but yeah. You know, now that you see him, her pull them out, it, it's kind of nice. Although I, uh, there was a time with the way that Ben worded that. I wasn't sure if he was talking about her guns or something else.
1: <laughs> well, you know, euf- euphemisms from a 15-year-old. How yeah. old is Ben now anyway? I
0: don't know. I don't know how old he is.
1: He keeps getting older. I mean, looking older. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was 16 when the show began. So he might be
0: 17. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Secret stash of weapons. And I don't know. I just said, now that's the Maggie we know and love. She's yeah. pulling out her guns, got the scowl on.
0: She's ready to go in guns blazing against Lexi, which was a little bit surprising, even though we know that she's doing something with the Ashvinny, which is certainly a, a huge major red flag. I was glad that Ben was still the voice of reason to say, look, she's my sister. That's the that's the first argument yeah. I would have led yep. with if I were him, not the last argument. But he also says something interesting where he says, "I'm not even sure if she's capable of lying." If she she know. and I took that to mean there's still such a degree of innocence w- among her that I, he's not even sure if she knows what a lie is. Is that the way you took it too?
1: Oh, entirely. It goes back to I think I was talking about it last episode when we were when I was kind of commenting on her choices of teachers and throwing all of those back in Ben's face saying, you think you're a better teacher than Shakespeare or Dickens or even Mm -hmm. your own god? And her intellectual uh, capacity has, of course, dramatically increased, and she can read books. It looked like she was just flying through books. But her emotional intelligence is still very young. She, I mean, most emotional intelligence only comes through experience and... Usually people have 21 years of experience to be where she is right now, but she's had hardly, I mean, she's been alive for almost a year, which means she's only been in this state of mind for a fraction of that. So yeah, entirely her, her emotional intelligence is still very low. And it's cool to see that because it gives her a little bit more weight in that she honestly believes that what she is doing is maybe uh, is the right thing in her mind because she says she acknowledges that the Eshveni are a part of her. You know, I, I I don't know. I just kept going back to the, the fact that she didn't, as Ben predicted, she did not just outright deny anything. She came forward with the fact that, yes, you are correct. I was meeting with an Eshveni. Now, my question is to you, Daryl, why... This If if any point Lourdes was to react the way we expect her to react, I would have expected it to happen in this scene because she was the one who had been taken over by these eye worms. Shouldn't she be just appalled at the fact that Lexi is working with them and admitted as much?
0: Yes, she should. Absolutely should. After what the Ishvini did to Lourdes, after all they've seen the Ishvini do to other people that she loved, including her boyfriend way back when. Right. She should, at the mere realization that Lexi has been meeting with the Ishvini, that should cause her to go, "What the what? Are you kidding yeah. me? After what they was, did to me,
1: there was no break in her facial expressions."
0: And I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with I this know. because I know I could still see this where Lexi is still innocent enough to not realize. The danger, she could be man- being manipulated by the Ishvini, like we talked about last week. She could be in cahoots with the Ishvini and know what she's doing. Mm-hmm. She could, she's got duality. She has duality. She's part human and she's part alien. And I think that she feels an allegiance to both of those. And I think it goes back to the theory that we've been talking about forever now because you came yep. up with it last season. And that would be that she would be, and, and she even called it herself. She's the bridge mm-hmm. between the humans and the aliens. But in doing that, she she has to be able to identify with both sides. And it's going to, it's obviously put her in an awkward spot. But why Lourdes didn't react any differently doesn't make any sense to me. Yes, she's completely drinking the Lexi Kool-Aid. There's no question about that. We know that right. she feels like she owes Lexi, Lexi everything because of what Lexi did to free her from the eye bugs. But I'm not convinced that, that Lourdes isn't herself still under some sort of control. Or having some sort of uh, residual effect of the Ishvini that's causing her to not really see reality.
1: Yeah. And this more than ever has me convinced that there's still something wrong with her. Mostly because there was no reaction (laughs) when there clearly should have been. I mean, they were were overjoyed when Lexi stopped the mech. Which, to me, says they saw the mech as the enemy. The Mm -hmm. mech... Is powered by the Ashveni, which right. by extension should mean that the Ashveni are the enemy. And I don't understand how all of those people were coming to Lexi's defense when right. this news was being come to light.
0: Well, Lexi has been teaching them and and you know she was giving them a lesson while Ben and true. Maggie came through. So maybe she's been doing her own sort of brainwashing with them.
1: Actually, I think that even crossed my mind. I really like that. The, the fact that brainwashing has been going on in each group that has been separated here
0: mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: because if anything, if, the, if these people trust her so implicitly that they don't care who she's working for, then that's brainwashing in right. my opinion.
0: Yeah.
1: <sighs> Do you want to hear a little bit of what I found out about the, that uh, symbol she wears around her neck?
0: Yes. Yeah. Lay it on us.
1: So, I did a little searching, and I think a couple weeks ago I was I had made some Lord of the Rings reference, but um, so she called it a triskelion, and yeah. it means something like rotational symmetry. And she says it's it's in order to make a whole greater than the sum of its parts. Well, triskelion comes from the Greek meaning three legged, and it represents it comes in a in a variety of symbols, like they're represented in different ways. And the the one that I was familiar with is the Celtic one, because I'm a little Irish, <laughs> but only only through the symbol. I didn't understand its symbolism. So what I found was that the symbolism of the triskelion comes in two major components. The first is action, and that when looking at it, we're taken with the concept of motion, such as cycles or progress or competition, and then the three rings, the three legs, the the other major component, mean different things in different cultures or eras. But among those things that they mean are the mind, body, spirit, father, son, holy spirit, uh, past, present, future, creator, destroyer, sustainer, creation, preservation, destruction. And... I mean, there, there was a lot to read on all of these things and I just pulled out what I thought would be most relevant here, but it was just interesting to see how each of these really has something to play and what could be going on with her and the Ashveni, because we're trying to figure out what the third ring could possibly represent. Yeah. Right. We think human Ashveni, but if we're, tr- if we're kind of coming to the show in a more of a human and a shveni are merging i think tom said a couple times that we're all about to be skitterized right if we're all if we're all coming together then maybe it means something completely different and it's not even referring to humans and a shveni it's talking about the mission objective you know the the spiritual journey that's going on here I don't know. You have any thoughts on that?
0: Uh, no, no. I mean, what you just laid out was was better than anything I could I could add to it. I, I, I I'm so glad you did the research to figure out what in the world uh, the triskelion even means. I, I heard the word and thought, well, I don't know what that is. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. Like maybe we'll it, it'll come to light a little bit more. But I don't know. It, the The thing that had really struck me was just. That when you're looking at it, you're taken with the concept of motion, and and it kind of goes to the infinity symbol, where it you, it neither uh, every circle neither has a beginning nor an ending, and they all kind of just connect into mm-hmm. one another. And man, if that isn't a brainwashing skitterizing cycle, I don't know <laughs> what is.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know, just one theory. Well, we got some great thoughts from the listeners. Uh, we've got uh, at least three here to to talk about the first one comes in from barb you mentioned maggie kind of being uh, a little bit different this season barb had some some interesting thoughts on that as well
2: i'm disappointed so far this season with maggie first she appeared to be drinking the lordis and lexi kool-aid then she was back on board with the humans and now she's getting guns and rushing in like a bull in a china shop that's not the tough but smart maggie we've known i want the real maggie back or give us a good explanation as to why she's all over the place so far this season.
0: Uh, you know, I think the explanation is she was falling under the Lexi brainwashing like everybody else is. Now Ben comes in. She has a relationship with Ben. Ben's kind of able to help remove the scales from her eyes. And now reality is setting in. Uh, mm-hmm. she's, she's seeing that ch- Lexi for what? Some of the red flags of... like I was going to say Lexi for what she truly is, but we don't know what Lexi truly is. I think just some of the right. red flags that Ben is seeing because yeah. he hasn't been that frog sitting in the pot for the last, you know, what was it, four <laughs> months or however long it was. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that's, that's the, the difference. But when she pulled out her gun to to threaten Lexi and Lexi crushed her wrist or whatever it was that she did mm. to her, I mean, that also should have been a red flag, I think, to people.
1: Right. Yeah, there were there are way too many red flags now, but Mm -hmm. I think I, I agree with you entirely. It's kind of like the the whole concept when somebody comes out of being brainwashed or hypnotized, they they try to correct their mistakes to such a degree that they end up overdoing whatever they do. Mm hmm. Trying to make amends for it, or make up for it, or in Maggie's case, just take out her <laughs> what is very natural hostility on someone who has completely corrupted the minds of everybody she cares about.
0: Right.
1: But interesting, Barb.
0: Yep. Thank you, Barb.
1: Thank you for that. All right. So we were just talking about how Lexi's relationship with the Ishveni Overlord seems very. It should be. It should be causing a lot more red flags than what has been going up. And Alex from the UK says, is Lexi being naive about her relationship with the Ashveni overlord, being duped into believing they mean well, or is she a sleeper agent for them? And I think we've probably already covered this for the most part, but I don't think that she can, I think sleeper agent means that she isn't aware that she is doing work for them. And I think Lexi is totally aware of what she's doing do you think so
0: i th- I had a I was thinking sleeper agent meant something else someone who is um like a plant inside an organization and they the other, the other organization doesn't even know a, that that's what they are
1: okay I guess i thought I thought a sleeper agent meant someone that they have on reserve ready to oh maybe that's it they have on reserve ready to act at the drop of a hat I'm wikiing it right now.
0: I am too. Not going
1: very fast. Oh. A spy who is placed in a target country or organization not to undertake an immediate mission, but rather to act as a potential asset if activated. Okay.
0: Yep. And I think that's exactly what she is. Yeah.
1: No, I would agree then. I was confusing it with another term. Yeah. That it definitely seems to be because she's also in league with the people who planted her there, which would fall right in line with that definition.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mark had a really interesting theory. I love hearing new theories, not just the the commentaries and ideas I love. But when someone throws out a first theory, I love those the most. He's got a theory about the overlord.
3: Here's that theory. And I'm wondering if the overlord that Lexi met with is the same overlord that Tom met with. I'm wondering if it's possible that the overlord that Lexi met, met with might actually be a rebel overlord or at least a sympathetic overlord who is maybe working to help the humans and he actually did this to create the hybrid in Lexi to help the humans because he's not following along with his other the other overlords plans. So, I wonder if that's a possibility.
0: I don't know, Mark. I I love the idea because it would it would bring about some hope. And if if, if they're going to I mean right now it's hard to see how they could overcome the Eshvini although we've seen them display some weaknesses like Tom was able to scorch one of them this week. Um, but the idea of them having kind of just some dissension within their own ranks is a really good idea that I really, really like, but I don't get that vibe. So I will say no, just because mm. of that, which gives me more room to give it up to you. If that comes to be, if it comes to pass. So I don't know. What, what do you think?
1: I love that theory. I just, yeah. I really hope that's true just because it's been it's been so relentless up to this point that it would be nice to see some sort of deviation in their ranks and whether this monk overlord guy is actually the highest of the high of the overlords or if he's just one of many on a council of overlords it would probably be more likely, if, if, if he was someone who was deviating from the path, it would be more likely that he would be on a council or something. But mm-hmm. So I would say, depending on the form of government that the Ishvani have. <laughs>
2: do they have a government? <laughs> yeah, of course they do. Oh, dear. they got some sort of structure. <laughs> but,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's a great theory, Mark. I'm so yeah, glad you I threw like it, it out there. And uh, we'll find out. I guess time will be the tell. All right, let's talk about the, um, the moment there when Anne... Shows up there at at with uh, at the Zen Garden, if we want to call it that. Ben sees her; she knows immediately who Lexi is. Now we had this discussion last week. Will Anne mm-hmm. recognize Lexi? And I think you said she'll have that motherly instinct, and and you were right about that, or whoever said that was right about that.
1: Yeah, no i i i I had some feeling that she would be able to know immediately who she was and i think the reason i had said it was because i thought she had a dream about lexi at one point with the white hair hmm. but i couldn't remember because i i guess i thought well just in such close proximity we saw that scene where lexi puts her hand up into the light and the light is reflected off of it and then immediately we jump to Anne who wakes up in the middle of the woods with a nightmare so i guess i thought she was dreaming about lexi and maybe that's part of the reason why i went down that
0: road but yeah maybe so yeah
1: it it, it was it was an interesting reunion in that you know of course Anne is going to be overjoyed to see her even if she's a little shocked but mm-hmm. what did you how did you how did you interpret lexi's reaction
0: i wish we would have gotten to see her face while ann is hugging her and saying she's my daughter i wanted to see the yeah. reverse side of that embrace Oh, we didn't yeah. get that, you know, and I think that was intentional. I don't know, and this is why I threw it out as our Twitter poll question of the week. We're going to we're gonna talk about will they remain on the same side because I think the embrace was the natural first re- reaction. You see somebody you haven't seen in a long time that you care about or after some sort, maybe it hadn't been a long time, but it feels like a long time or at least after some sort of traumatic event, the embrace is the natural thing. And you might even embrace someone that you you don't agree with, you know. And and what happens next, I think is is the most important thing. And we didn't get any of that, and that was obviously on on purpose. They didn't want to reveal that just yet. Um, I don't know. I I just don't think. I think that Anne is a as in is. I think Anne is due for a rude awakening or, or a shocking revelation about her daughter. I don't have a good vibe. Oh,
1: I completely agree with that. No, I I did not get a good vibe either. I thought, you know, at first Lexi seemed a little resistant to the affection that her mother or or maybe even resistant to let herself feel anything toward Anne. But -hmm. then she kind of closed her eyes right when Anne embraced her, almost like she was giving into it. But, you know, I just she's she must have had more interaction with the Ashveni over the last four months than with her mother, really, of course. (laughs) So I wonder if during these formative months, the Ashveni have become more of a parental figure to her than Anne ever was. And that's a little scary.
0: And I think that is, I think that's an important distinction. She is half human, half Ashveni, or at least we'll we'll term it that just for the sake of Mm -hmm. simplicity. But that doesn't mean that she identifies with each side, Equally, right. Hmm. Particularly since the Ishvini are clearly more in control here, so I think that she identifies with the Ishvini more than she does her human side. But that doesn't mean it's going to remain that way, right? You know, yeah. Um, Need the other theory (laughs) that. Well, not even the balance, but to, to, to sway the, the balance in favor of, of the humans. You know, I misinterpreted your theory when I was talking to Noah Wiley at Comic-Con last year, and I said, is she going to be the thing that would be the secret weapon to help the humans overcome the Ishvini?" And I think that that could be the case. Now, I think yeah. maybe the Ishvini intended her for one purpose, but it's going to come back and, and she'll actually be the savior of humanity. But it's going to take a journey for her, the hero's journey, for her to, to reach that point. Yeah.
1: I like that, hero's journey. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, we need Dave. Interne- we need interdimensional Dave here, yeah. directing us through the hero's journey of Lexi.
1: Oh, maybe we can persuade him. He blogs for can. Falling Skies. I I know, but yeah. I have to read his blog.
0: All right, uh, let's talk about Team Matt. We didn't get a whole lot here, but we did get some, uh, including Sheila's back. Right,
1: Sheila was sent out to retrieve her parents, which she did successfully. So Martha and Bill are presented to the Hitler youth and the father is allowed to speak. Man, yep. did you get a creepy vibe off of that guy?
0: Yeah, like he wasn't like he'd been programmed or something. Yeah.
1: He looked like he he was shocked by what the words that were coming out of his mouth, really, is mm. how I took it. He mm, looked like okay. when, when when he stood back in line, he was just kind of like what did I just say?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the mom, clearly if they try to program her the same way it didn't take, she's going to need another session. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) She has to go through one more phase of the re-education program, but yeah, yeah, she hasn't been fully skitterized, but I really liked that they focused back in on Sheila as uh, the mom was screaming while they were dragging her out of the room. Mm -hmm. Really liked that a piece of the old Sheila is still in there. Mm hmm. So maybe, hopefully, the brainwashing isn't permanent. Like they can be brought out of it.
0: I I hope so, and I wonder how much of that was just a show for team leader. If if she and Matt, which I mean Matt's gone now, so I thought there would be a scene between her and Matt later, and she would say, "It was all, you know, I was just faking it. I had to I had to put on an act." But we didn't we didn't get that scene. Right. Instead, we got Matt having an interaction with what was the other girl? Was it Mira? Mira. Yeah. Took the clippers, the wire cutters and team leader figured it out. Matt stepped in. What do you think about that?
1: I, I don't know what I thought about this. I kind of, I mean, I know why he did it. She needed just a little bit of encouragement to know she can make it through this, but I don't know what good this is going to come. What good is going to come of this? And I also don't know why he didn't say something like, well, my bed was broken and I just wanted to fix it. (laughs) You know,
0: I, I don't think team leader would have bought that team leader is all over him. He's not, you know, he's got a super close eye on, on him. I don't think team leader would have, would have bought that. Probably not.
1: I think I said last week that I've, I'm just not interested in this storyline. Yeah. And now with this last scene with Cochise, Scoping out Matt as he's led into whatever main office building right. for punishment. Now I am interested.
0: You can write it down. <laughs> uh, well, that's the most. That, that is the most. T- two things happen in this episode that have made this part of the story much more interesting. Now, not that it's interesting by any any degree measurable to the other parts of the story, but right. the first thing was that Matt said he had a plan. It was to finish their education get out uh, of the, you know, be able to get away from the from the camp and then start doing some things. And I thought that, hey, that's a very mason yeah. thing to do. Very good. Yes, very much. Uh, and the other one was, uh, Cochise is on the scene with the Mason child or son of Mason or son of Tom, whatever he called him.
1: Son of Tom Mason.
0: Yeah,
3: Something it was like a bit that. weird. Yeah. Well, Mark had some thoughts on that. Let's hear what Mark had to say about this. All right. I'm still not caring for the whole, uh, Nazi camp story there with Matt. Uh, we saw that girl who turned her parents in. Now, we're supposed to be under the impression that this camp has only been around for, what, three, four months, and these kids are behaving this way. I don't know my history about the Nazi camps and all, and everything, but. I think to brainwash somebody like that, there would have had to been some sort of drugs or something used. Um, I don't know if they can, if just the propaganda. I, I know it's possible, but for her to turn her parents in and her mom to be yelling at her like that and it's not phasing the girl, I thought that was a little strange. If there wasn't something stronger involved there,
0: I don't know either. Do you know anything about tactics that the Nazis might have used that would be used to? I mean, that would that would act this fast or, or take effect this fast?
1: I I don't. I think it has a lot to do with. Well, I thought it had a lot to do with isolation and mm-hmm. the control of darkness. That the I can't remember if it's the Germans or the Russians who use that tactic. But yeah, no, I I really don't know. Unfortunately,
0: yeah, I mean it. It wouldn't be surprising if they had some sort of. Uh, what's the right word? I'm I'm trying to.
1: Based on everything that we've seen from the Ashveni and how that they've they've controlled humans in other ways, I wouldn't have any hard time believing that there was some sort of implant, not necessarily an eye worm, but maybe like a drug. Because mm-hmm. uh, th- those, those harnesses that they put on the kids were laced with opiates, right? So they helped to numb that portion of the brain that resisted oh. or that removed the resistance to authority or something. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe they gave them just enough of the, that same type of drug that, that let in those thoughts about what this new world is that they're trying to create here.
0: Yeah, or they've put At something in a, the food. I mean, the, the food has been yeah. brought up a couple of times and given to them as a reward, yep. but it's one thing to, and maybe this is it, maybe they're putting something in the food. You withhold the food for a certain amount of time so that when... You present with them food. They really don't have the ability to resist because they're so hungry by that point, And you've laced it with yep. something. I like that. I don't know. It'd be cool. I don't know.
1: Cool right, well, Hopefully with Cochise
0: on the scene, this and with Matt having been taken into custody, hopefully this part of the story will get a whole lot more interesting next week.
1: Yeah, definitely. What'd you rate the episode, Daryl?
0: I gave it nine fumble recoveries. Nice. Makes me, makes me want football season to be here immediately. Oh,
1: I know. There's so much news coming out for the upcoming preseason. Yep. Making me anxious. All right. And I gave it eight and a half creepy Karen nightmares.
0: Nice. Nice. Well, do you have any closing thoughts or questions that uh, you are looking forward to hopefully getting resolved next week?
1: I don't think so. I think we have some completely new paradigms to work with in the next mm-hmm. episode. So I'm just excited to see what happens
0: me too all right well what do you you say we get into some uh, twitter poll action let's do it all right this week's berserker cast twitter poll question is will Anne and lexi remain on the same side and i mentioned this a little bit ago when we were talking about it um Tangier 14 said, Anne is probably infected with Ishvini DNA and will drink the Kool-Aid for a while after first resisting Lexi. Mm. It's a very interesting thought. And we don't know if she has the DNA in her or not, but it certainly is a possibility. Yeah. Jovial Falcon said, if Anne is included in the next Ishvini meeting, Lexi lies... Without realization, truth is in the eye of the fish head.
1: <laughs> nice. I see what you did there.
0: Jim in Wisconsin says I don't see how they can, especially once she learns Lexi talks with the I feel yeah. a difficult oh. choice coming soon. And I'm I'm right there with Jim. I am too uh, and the last one, Solo Talk Media said, no, Anne will never side with Yashveni and will be torn as to what to do with Lexi. Love will eventually win over Lexi. And I, I like that, too. I do see that happening where Lexi will come back around mm-hmm. to to be the deciding factor for the humans. She'll take that hero's journey.
1: And I think that's where the Eshveni have always underestimated humans. Yeah. Where humans get their motivation to fight, well, it comes with that love connection, that thing yeah. that makes them want to fight towards something. And if, hopefully if the human to Eshveni components inside of Lexi are equal, <laughs> right. then that human part of her has just as much a chance of taking over as anything. And like
0: that's it. right. And it may be in there. They may have tried to suppress it, but it's still in there and the Ishveni need to... It'll be the thing. These are these are the things that make great sci-fi great sci-fi, is the characters yep. and the bonds yes. that they share. That's why we loved Fringe so much. We found out, uh, you know, we, we realized pretty early on that it was more of a story about love than anything else. What would you do for love? How mm-hmm. powerful is love? And uh, this, this story, it looks like it's shaping out to take that approach as well. Not complaining. Not me either. No way. Yeah. Well, next week, we're going to take a look at season four, episode four, which is entitled Evolve or Die. It's a great oh, episode I title. Oh, I
1: like that title.
0: Yeah. And we want to hear your thoughts on that episode. So go over to com slash feedback. From there, you can use our SpeakPipe widget to record your feedback. You can also type out your feedback and just submit it right there through our easy-to-use form. You can also attach an audio file and use the form to submit an audio file. Or you can just call 304-837-2278. And use our Golden Spiral Media voice feedback line to submit your contribution. The deadline for submitting your feedback contribution is 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays.
1: Speaking of Tuesdays, yeah. our, our podcast is recorded live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And you get to watch us talk, which is so exciting <laughs> because some people are here doing just that <laughs> you can join our live show by visiting www.goldenspiralmedia.com slash live and to stay up to date on everything that we're doing here at golden spiral media there's a lot of new things coming your way this summer uh you can follow us on twitter at gsm podcasts or like us on facebook facebook.com slash golden spiral media you don't want to miss out guys
0: Yeah, this week we have a brand new podcast that's starting. They did the uh, preview podcast already. It's already out there. Mike and Dave, you mentioned the Continuum podcast earlier. We talked about Mike at the top of the show. Well, he is also one of the podcasters here for Golden Spiral Media for our brand new Dark Matter podcast, which is a podcast dedicated to the CBS show Extant. It's it is pronounced extant and not extant. Okay. Although either is a proper pronunciation, they're going with the pronunciation extant. So, okay. just so you know, cool. uh, this is a new Halle Berry Steven Spielberg uh, p- production. Ooh. So, it starts uh, this week on uh, CBS. In fact, Wednesday at nine eight Central. So, don't miss it. Now, here's a little bit of information. This is hot off the press, Emily. You you don't I don't think you've you've seen this yet, unless you've got Facebook pulled up, which is a possibility doubtful. Mike posted this over, we have a, uh, a, a web page, a private group for golden spiral media people, uh, some of the hosts and stuff like what? that.
1: Why didn't you, you kn- invite me?
0: You are a part I'm of it. Kidding. Quit it. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike posted this over in the, in the private group a little while. He may have posted it elsewhere, but this is where I saw it. He said, I just heard from Mickey Fisher, the creator of Extant. In response to a quick greeting that Mike had sent over to him, and this is what Mickey Fisher said to Mike, the creator of Extant. You ready for this? Uh Uh-huh. He said, hey, Mike, it's so cool that uh, you're doing a podcast on Extant. Now, remember what I said our our podcast was called Dark Matter was the name of our podcast. Mike and Dave came up with this name for the podcast. They did it on their own. Of course, I said, yeah, go with it. No problem. But it's all them. Mickey Fisher says dark matter was the very first title that I wrote down on the composition notebook of the script that would eventually become extant. So (laughs) they like nailed it and didn't even know it.
1: Mike and Dave, clearly you're awesome.
0: They they clearly are. And uh, Mickey says, I switched it early on because I didn't quite land on the theme that I was circling around. When things slow down here, uh, he'll, he'll he'll check out the podcast. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, we hope that's that you'll check cool. out the podcast. All of our podcasts are available at com slash podcasts. And you can uh, check them all out. All right. Well, that's it for me. Do you have anything else, Emily? That's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for taking time out of your vacation from the cabin at the lake to uh, do a podcast with me this week.
1: It was my pleasure. Until (laughs) next time, remember, it's always easy to get carried off by aliens.
0: And resistance is never, ever futile.